May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Perhaps you remember the case of Tariq and Mikhail Salahi, who on November the 24th, 2009, managed to get past security and sneak into a party at the White House. They parked in the White House parking lot. I don't know how they got past the uniform security out there. Managed to get into the building to get past the White House security that was checking off persons from the guest list and got right into the main dining room where the party was being held. Within a few minutes, the Salahis had managed to get into the receiving line and be welcomed by both the president and the vice president. They had the White House photographer there who snapped pictures to record the event. And within an hour after leaving the party, uh, Mikhail Salahi posted several of these photos on her Facebook page bragging how honored she was to have been invited to the White House state dinner. Only she wasn't invited. Neither was her husband. They managed to sneak through all these layers of security, get right up to the next to the president and the vice president, have their photos taken with him, and get out of there without having ever been detected. So maybe you remember this whole brouhaha that kind of went along with this. You know, the the the, white, the headlines: uninvited guests crash White House party. Um, they managed to parlay their 15 minutes of fame into a, a reality show for cable television. Of course they did. Um, and then all the sort of things that happened with this couple. I found it quite unsettling. I don't know about you, but that just some, you know, you could go put on a tuxedo and a silk dress and you get in line and get into the White House. Is it really that easy? Made me want to give it a shot, you know. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a lot easier than I thought. But it also kind of is troubling for another reason. You can't just crash parties. I mean, that's so unseemly, isn't it? Imagine all the cultural repercussions. We need these barriers. Could you imagine what would happen if it became common for people just to show up at whatever event they wanted to? You could throw a dinner party. Imagine you're planning a dinner party, 8 or 10 or 12 people, I don't know, and you're setting the table, and all of a sudden there's a knock at the door, you know? And the neighbors say, hey, we heard you were having a party. We thought we'd just stop by. No, you can't do that, you know? You, you're not allowed to just stop by on these events. You can't just show up. This is the reason invitations were invented, not just to let the invitees know that they've been invited, but to keep everybody else who didn't receive an invitation at arm's length, right? And perhaps you remember this from your childhood. Maybe your mother said, all right, you you can have a birthday party. Your birthday's coming up. Why don't you, we'll have a party for you. And so you can invite six or eight or ten of your friends. You, you, you know, and mom gave you a list. There, there was a finite number. She wasn't willing to invite everybody, right? So you invite these friends over. and, And what did you do? You, you started writing down names, didn't you? People that you have, Steve, my best friend, i got to have him over. And then there's Dave and Buster, that guy's an athlete, he'll play football. You know? And you go down through the dames and you, you write all the people that you're going to have. And, and then you get down to your last slot. You get down to the last available. You have more friends than can fit in this, but you have to decide who's going to be the last person in. And so you sort of categorize people, right? The people who must be invited. The people who might be invited. And there's people who there's no way in the world you're going to invite, right? You do not want that person, you know. Oh, you know, he's always smelly. Or you know what? You remember how you did when you were a kid? You know, there's reasons why, whatever it was, you're not going to invite that kid. And it's sort of the same thing that we did on the playground. 
You know, somebody brought a kickball out, right? You remember this. They, they brought the kickball out or, or whatever it was that you played, you know. I don't know, volleyball or basketball or whatever. They, they brought out the ball, you know. And it's time for the game and we need teams. And, and there's two kids who become captains. They're always the big bully kids. You know them, right? And, and they come out and they're going to be the team captains. And, and, and then they go through and here's all the kids that are going to be picked. And you take him and I'll take him and you take her and I'll take her. You, you remember how they did, right? And they would go through the list. Occasionally, there was the odd number of players, you know, out there. And so it gets down to where the penultimate captain chooses the next to last person, and then the, the other captain, oh, and you're stuck, you know, you're stuck with Joe, not this Joe, another Joe. You're stuck with him, you know, you, you've got to take that guy, and they laugh and, and waddle off, and, and there you are. This is your team. The people you wanted, the people you were willing to take, and either the ones you didn't want at all or the ones you got stuck with. We knew from a very early age how to categorize and classify people. We learned this almost intuitively, how to divide people and classify them and categorize their value. In the Gospel of Matthew, we have a very familiar story. It's a story of these magi who come from the east to visit because they say they understand that the king of the Jews has been born because they saw his star. We, we say that there's three of them. The song says there are three. You know, The text doesn't actually say there were three. There were three gifts that were given, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Could have been given by two of them or 20 of them. It does, you know, there's, the number is not really as important. But what were these guys? What were these these magi, the song, We Three Kings, it comes up. They're not, magi are not kings at all, but they are kind of distinctive individuals in ancient Near Eastern world. First of all, the magi were sorcerers. They were people who did fortune telling. They would, um, they would uh, be thought to be able to cast magic spells, sort of wizard-like, you know, they could... They could be like, um, what was the guy in, uh, in King Arthur? Uh, it'll come to me. Merlin, yeah. They were Merlin-like, you know. They, could, they had all these kind of these great attributes of, of fortune-telling. And, and in fact, the word magic comes from magi. They were almost like magicians. They were interpreters of dreams. In the text, they have a dream. They believe the dream is telling them not to go back the way they came. They were astrologers. They would tell people's fortunes by the stars, in the alignment of the stars, they, um, they were, uh, you know, like the newspaper people, you know, who write, oh, today will be a great fortune, you know, whatever. Don't leave your house. It's a bad day for you. This is what they did as well. And also that they were from the east. We know that they were probably from Persia, maybe from Babylon. So they were either from what is modern-day Iran or modern-day Iraq. And they had traveled from that area to, um, to Israel. This is important because both the Persians and the Babylonians were at one time those who held Israel in captivity, in exile. And so they weren't well-liked people uh, just in a general sense, but there's even more. All those things I told you about them being sorcerers and fortune tellers and astrologers. Let me tell you what the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures say about such persons. Leviticus 19.26, you shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. Deuteronomy 18, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or is a sorcerer or a charmer 
or a medium, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. That's their resume. You know, that's the Magi's resume right there. And here they are showing up, these exact sort of people. Isaiah 47, you are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you, those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble, the fire that consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flames. And so here you have the prophet saying, you trust in these people? And yet, here they are showing up to visit the birth of Jesus. What's your point, you ask? I'm glad you asked, because I was going to tell you anyway. Here's the point. The Magi are exactly not the sort of people who should be coming to this event. They are the wrong people. They are wrong in every way. They are Gentiles. They are not Israelites. They are people whose resumes are altogether wrong. They're sorcerers and wizards and fortune tellers and and astronomers. Everything that is, is condemned by the Old Testament, they seem to want to practice. They follow the star to Jesus. Did you hear what it said? The wise men came from the east, they came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born of the king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising. The wrong sort of people, the wrong invitation, the right party. Today, um, well, actually Tuesday, but I didn't think you all would show up on Tuesday. So today is the Epiphany of the Lord Sunday. This is the Sunday where we celebrate uh, this event. This Epiphany is what it's called. Uh, the, the full name is the Revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the Gentiles. It's hard to fit that on the front of the bulletin. So we go with the Epiphany of our Lord Sunday. What is this day? Well, an Epiphany. An Epiphany is a revelation, a sort of manifestation an aha moment. <gasps> I just had an epiphany. <laughs> you know, you might say. And then you tell me what sort of insight, kind of revelation you might have. The star in the sky. God was making himself known in the only language these men understood. You know, the miracle of of. Christmas is this, that God comes to humanity wrapped in flesh and blood, isn't it? And here's the same thing. God, He's a missionary God, reaching out, heading out for people, not waiting for them to come to Him. He comes to us. We use this language a lot of times. I don't know, maybe you don't use it. I've heard people use it. Where they say, I came to the Lord, or I came to know the Lord. And I understand what they mean. I don't correct them. I silently correct them. I don't correct them out loud. But when I, when I hear people say that, I think to myself, no, you didn't come to the Lord. He came to you. It's the time where you realize that he came to you. He came to me. Oh, I've used the same language before. I, I verbally correct myself. But the second thing, the, these men are Gentiles, not Israelis, right? Not, not Israelites, not Jews. God's plan is bigger than just Israel. His plan is for the world, for the whole world, not just this little uh, family, this little tribe. The plan was to use this little family and tribe to reach out to the world, to bring the whole world into faith in God, to reconcile people to God. Another epiphany, that God is reaching out to those who are the furthest from him. 
At one time, I thought about planting a church. I actually was in process of doing this, and then through the providence of God, it didn't happen in Circleville. We were going to call it St. Thomas. I love St. Thomas. He um, was said to have been the one who traveled to India, the furthest from Israel. You remember Thomas, the doubter, right? He doesn't believe, he's constantly doubting. But when he comes to faith, he takes it so so seriously, so radically, that he travels further than any of the apostles away from home, reaching those who are furthest removed from God. In India today, Thomas is still revered as, as a patron saint. All the churches you'll see called St. Thomas in India. God is reaching. Here's the epiphany. He's reaching those who are furthest removed from him, those who are way out. We live in a divided world. I wouldn't say bifurcated, but bifurcated is not just in two. It's, it's divided in every way, don't we? Race, gender, class, whatever, whatever. I mean, you know, whatever sort of, uh, of, of niche kind of uh, division we can make, we, we divide people and categorize them. And when we do this, we're like little kids on the playground. Those that we want, those that we'll take, and those that we have nothing to do with. But if you look at the the epiphany lesson this morning, and you have this epiphany, oh my word, God doesn't, he doesn't divide people like that at all. I can only imagine if Jesus had been born into a, um, a, a powerful family. Can you imagine if he had been born into a powerful family? And these wise men show up at the door. (laughs) <laughs> who would be there to greet him? Not the family, would they? No. You know who you'd have. You'd have religious professionals, robed and collared, you know, fancy crosses hanging around our neck. Oh, let me see your credentials. Oh, my. Oh, no. Oh, no, sir. I'm sorry. We'll take your gold and your frankincense and your myrrh, but you yourself will have to leave. We become very good gatekeepers, and it's not just religious professionals. As people who take religion seriously, we can become very good gatekeepers to keep those out who do not fit the right standards. Some of us make better gatekeepers than the Secret Service. (laughs) We'll keep people out with the Secret Service, let people in. It's supposed to be the other way around. God invites all the wrong people to his party, doesn't he? Have you ever taken a moment to think about, uh, about the nativity scene? Shepherds who don't keep the Sabbath, who aren't allowed to come into the temple... They're, they're Jews, but just barely so, not welcome. Magi from the East, Gentiles. I mean, there are, there are cattle and you know, whatever else is around. I mean, this is, not, this is not the setting that you would expect to have. And maybe, um, maybe this sort of epiphany brings an epiphany to us. And it is this that God welcomes all people because God loves all people. He loves them irrespective of their resumes. Hey, he loves them irrespective of their politics. I know, hard to believe, isn't it? He loves them irrespective of their race, their gender, their creed. He loves them even if they don't love him. He loves them even if they hate him. He loves all people. And that should bring us great relief because that's how we know that he loves us. That's why he accepts us because he loves us. What an epiphany that is.
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.